Good morning, everybody. This is Kevin Stevenson, and you've joined me on I Don't Care on Market Scale Radio. And I'm really excited about today's guest, uh, Dr. Jeremy Levin, who is the CEO and chairman of Ovid Therapeutics. And, and Dr. Levin is also the board chair for Biotechnology Innovation Organization. And so, uh, welcome, Dr. Levin, to I Don't Care. I really appreciate you joining us today. Kevin, super pleasure to be here, and I'm glad you're doing this. Good opportunity to talk about stuff that's super important out there. Medicine's never been more important. That's exactly right. Well, before we get into talking about biotechnology and the development of the COVID vaccine, I'd really like to hear about your work at Ovid and also a little bit more about bio. I find that very fascinating. You betcha. So uh, Ovid is a small company, public, we focus on diseases that absolutely nobody wants to try out to solve. It comes from me being a doctor. I really feel that if you don't take the chance and head in there and tackle problems that nobody else has tackled, you'll never ever find cures. So I, we focus on rare disease of the brain, really rare, the kinds of things that you get with birth and are with you throughout your life. And frankly, that nobody really wants to tackle because they are so tough. So that's what Ovid does. Uh, we're working with Takeda, big company right now, and some very rare epilepsies, good promising results. And we're still digging into a very important disorder called Angelman's. Had a tough time there, very tough time recently, but we're hopeful that we'll find a cure there. Anyway, so that's us and Ovid. Uh, I joined Ovid, actually I founded Ovid six years ago, having run one of the largest generic companies in the world, Teva. But I did that because I felt that somebody like me, who'd been in a big company, really had to get down in the innovation area. And as I came back, I had learned about the biotech in a biotechnology innovation organization. It's the innovation organization that represents over a thousand different companies in the United States and some abroad. This is the core industry that focuses on innovation and patience. So when I joined it six years ago, I joined it with the intent to help them move through areas like which were really afflicting the United States, uh, things like the opioid crisis. I really wanted the innovative companies to tackle this, not to let the big companies deal with it, but let the little companies think about what could they contribute. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time on that as a devastating, that is a pandemic in and of Absolutely. itself. So bio got right behind it, started working on it. We passed some great legislation in uh, 2018. And then for my troubles, they said, okay, now you have to be chairman. So <laughs> that's usually what happens, right? That's what happens. <laughs> Kevin, you've been there, you know, you run hospitals, you know there. exactly what happens. If you do I good, somebody there. says, do more good. So uh, look, it, I, I joined bio with the idea that new medicines are important to people. They're important to you, important to me. I wanted us to put the track of the industry only on finding new medicines to cure disease. And then of course, in January, COVID descended on us. Right. And as an industry, we pivoted primarily because the Biotech Innovation Organization said, wait a second, we need to help put our shoulder behind this. Mm -hmm. So that's what the organization does. Okay. It focuses on innovation and patience. 
And I'm right and, there with it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Hasn't the biotech industry really been focusing primarily on cancer for, for up until COVID? Boy, Kevin, you know the area well. You are so right. In actual fact, it's a pretty much a stunner. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of diseases, heart disease, lung disease, brain disease, all sorts of things that afflict us. And yet, from 2006 to now, we saw the entire industry pivot into cancer. Mm -hmm. And by the beginning of 2019, more than 50% of all the investment dollars going into research were going into cancer. Now, that's, on one side, that's super good because cures were found. Mm -hmm. we're, in the, we're in the trajectory to find how we can harness the human immune system to push back cancer, make it, make it something that's chronic, maybe even cure it completely. Exactly. But okay. you are right. 50% of over 1,000 companies were only focused in cancer. There was one company focused in congestive heart failure. There were about five focused in Alzheimer's. Hmm. So th this was a distortion of innovation. We focused only on, ca on cancer, tough, tough time. Yeah, I I'm very surprised that only five or so companies were focusing on Alzheimer's right now because of the prevalence and the increase in the diagnosis. You betcha. It was driven primarily by the investor groups. Of course. They said the following, gee, it's tough to invest in an area like Alzheimer's. We don't understand it. There have been so many failures. We're bailing out of it. Mm -hmm. Investors do tend to follow where they can make easy money. Of course. Just like you and me. <laughs> no, I don't. I actually don't do that. No, really? no, I don't. I follow on one thing. Find a medicine. If you find a medicine, you'll find money. Interesting. But start number one, find that medicine. You got to take the risk. That's well, that's true. That's true. Interesting. Well, let's get down to, to the meat of today's episode. I'd really like to hear more about how biotechnology is assisting in the in the development of the COVID vaccine. Uh, yeah, let's talk a lot about that because I know my listeners are very, very interested in that. Of course, we're hearing uh, here in Central Texas and certainly across the country that uh, the vaccine is imminent. We expect to get uh, 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 quite a few units of the vaccine here at my hospital over the next couple of weeks uh, for our uh, frontline healthcare uh, workers. So would love to hear how biotech has been involved in all of this. Okay, super good. I'm so glad to hear about the vaccines coming your way. Mm -hmm. Central Texas, I never recognized that accent, but I kind of knew really? where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, mine is originally South African. I got a lot of friends down in Texas. Great. Um, Kevin, the biotech industry was intimate in this. At the beginning of January, nobody agreed that there was anything of any seriousness. Let's be clear. Let's not hide away from that. Let's be real clear. People thought this was, oh, it's a flu. Right. Oh, it's going to go away. But the biotech industry thought different. I'd been, I'd just been in Cambodia. I'd seen that Cambodia had evacuated. There were no Chinese there. I came back to the country in January and said, guys, we have a problem. Hmm. The Chinese know there's a problem. We have a wave coming towards us. We need to focus on this dreadful thing that's coming towards us. Kind of a tough 
cell to begin with. Sure. And But what we found very quickly was the biotech industry had no companies in the area, zero. No programs, hmm. no vaccines, no new medicines. And in January of this year, I spoke with the then CEO of Bio and I said, we need to bring together all the companies. We need to tell them that this is a big deal. They need to get on it. Fortunately, a couple of the administration officials came and they said, well, this is not a big deal, we'll pass, but we'll support you if you do something. The biotech industry jumped on it. From then to now, over 800 different clinical programs got going and preclinical. We have over 300 different trials looking at older medicines. That's not been true, uh, too successful, except when we look at the old steroids, dexamethasone, boy, that's been a good one. That's been a really good one. Nothing else has worked. Hydroxychloroquine, complete waste of time, and we should never have spent any time on it. Hmm. However, in addition to that, we have two different areas. One, new antivirals. There are about 150 of those coming along. And then on the vaccine side, just as you said, there are two or three which are coming over the horizon, which will be with us imminently days from now. The US uh, FDA will approve an emergency use of one. You have, that's from, uh, from Pfizer. You have another one coming right behind that from Moderna oh. and another one in the UK right now in AstraZeneca. Oh, so okay. the vaccines are coming, there's no question. But where did the biotech industry play? What was the role? Number one, they stepped forward. Nobody asked us to do that. Nobody. You should know that early on when we said there's a massive problem, we were told there's not a massive problem. But like, this is an industry that focuses on medicine and patients. And so we said, no, we're going to support the doctors. We saw what was happening in Mount Sinai in New York. You know that as an administrator. Absolutely. That wave crashed. It was catastrophic. How they handle it, full credit to the doctors and nurses and first responders. Absolutely. It was a desperate moment. It receded from New York. But the companies said, no, we're going to tackle this. We're going to keep on tackling it. Pfizer's in New York said, we're on this. Moderna, local, we're on this. And you have what you have today. So I can walk you through that because I think your listeners should know this is an important inflection. It's important, Kevin, because first of all, this is not one company. This is multiple companies. This is not one approach to vaccines. There are at least six different approaches. And this is not one simply companies making products. You know as well as I do, you got to have a safe drug and you got an, an effective drug. Mm -hmm. We have one arbiter for that. And we are, I'm proud to work with them every day of the week. And that's the FDA. Mm -hmm. And the FDA during this process said, we're going to do a couple things that are really interesting. Number one, we're going to look to see how we can accelerate these medicines. Number one. Number two, we're going to have an approval process which is rigid and is focused on quality, focus on understanding what the safety profile of these medicines are. And then number three, we're going to look use science and medicine to adjudicate which are the ones we're going to approve. 
Couldn't have done this without them. Mm -hmm. Second thing that happened, vaccines are special. It's kind of an old art. I don't know about you, but boy, I didn't like my first polio vaccine. Then I liked the one that was oral. Mm -hmm. And I sure didn't like my smallpox vaccine. That was painful as all heck. Mm -hmm. That was years ago. It's all gone, all changed. We have safe, effective vaccines for measles, mumps, you name it, across the board. And they're really good. They stop us having other epidemics of disastrous disorders. And here you have an industry which said, okay, let's figure out, can we find new innovative ways of doing this? Let's not, let's not think about the old ways of doing it. Let's look at the new ways of doing it. So they studied what had happened with H1N1. Mm -hmm. They said, we learn about the sequences of these viruses. And there's a whole raft of new technologies, one called mRNA. mRNA basically says, you know what? I can take a piece of that information that's of that virus. I don't need the whole virus. I can take that piece of, my, of, vir of information which tells me that special little protein that if my body saw it, it would react to it. We can take that, we can put it into the human body. We can make the human body make that. It's amazing, it's absolutely uh -huh. wonderful. And then when they do that, what happens is your body reacts against it. Your uh -huh. body attacks any virus that comes along with that protein, destroys it. And that's the approach, that's a brand new approach adopted by Moderna, adopted by Pfizer. Uh -huh. And when you couple that with what the FDA's done, you now have a process for vetting, is it effective? Moderna, and it, uh, and all the other companies with Pfizer as well, put together trials of tens of thousands of people very quickly. Mm -hmm. And as they did that, Kevin, they asked the question, how can I measure its safety? How can I measure its efficacy? And as they did that, the FDA was gearing up, making its processes work. And what's remarkable, what normally would have taken four, five, six years, happened in no more than 10 months. Right, and, and, and I, I, here's a, a question that so many of my friends, my non-healthcare friends ask uh, about that is that they have heard that, that the FDA takes many, many years to approve vaccines. And so there's a, a lot of concern out there for the shortened process. So uh, why, what could you tell those people who again are non-healthcare, non-clinical, uh, to ease their uh, concerns. You know, it's kind of like surgery. I'm not a surgeon, but I did a lot of surgery, both mm -hmm. on the battlefield, in the bush, and also in emergency rooms and in operating theaters. You do something once, oh, it's going to take you a long time. You're going to study it from this way from Sunday. You do it a thousand times, you do it like that. Sure. And I can tell you that having taken out appendix of patients, the first time I was taught how to do it, it took me oh so long. But the last time I did it, it took me 15 minutes. Okay. So here you have an FDA, which is trained. It's got superb people. It's got processes. It can look at those processes and say, okay, we know how to do this. How do we shorten this? Mm -hmm. How do we remove from this what would be the normal, sort of very heavy institutional look at this? How can we create the 
guardrails that ensure that it's completely safe and it's effective, and then we can monitor it afterwards. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't easy. I think we have to salute them. They really did a good job. This is one of those occasions when you can do things like this. It's like the army. You put out, it's just not, not only like uh, uh, when, you're, when you're doing surgery or for an appendix, just like an army, big institution, you want to lay out a battlefield, you put all your tanks there, takes you about a month to do it. You put a special forces unit in, they can go and do it immediately. Uh-huh. So I think the analogy has to be, you never compromise on safety, you never compromise on efficacy, you weld them together, and the agency was able to do it. And I think we, we really should take off our hats to uh-huh. them. All right. Uh, that's, uh, I think that's going to, uh, it's going to uh, alleviate a, a number of fears of some of our listeners. Yeah, another thing too is some, uh, many people are talking about, um, you know, frankly, the politics, politics is that, the politics of this, you know what I'm trying to say, the politics of the vaccine. Let's address that. Let's talk, you know, let's talk science versus politics on this. You know, there's a poison in all of this. Mm-hmm. There's a real poison. There's only one thing that matters, Kevin, and that's the safety and well-being of every individual in the United States. Right. When you don't think about that, when you introduce politics into science and medicine, you end up with gravestones. We have gravestones now in this country, the kind that we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And the reason is real simple. Real simple. We politicize COVID. When we were told that there wasn't anything of significance, mm-hmm. it's because nobody wanted to admit there was. And yet you could see them here in New York and many of the other states said, oh, it'll never come to us. Mm-hmm. Viruses don't know, uh, don't know uh, state borders. Mm-hmm. They fly in aircraft real fast. They get to places, they spread. Mm-hmm. And what was happening was you had governors, you had state institutions, you had the president, you had the White House denying that there was a problem and using the moment to make the mistaken, deeply mistaken and deeply flawed judgment to call this a political event as opposed to a medical and science event. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine if we were invaded, let's, let's just assume the Russians invaded and they're in New York. It's a political event. Are you kidding me? Hmm. That's it's a political analogy. event? Yeah. You got to get the army there and it's going to be federal and we're all going to fight the hell out of them. They're going to mm-hmm. kick them out of this country. Right. Here you have a situation identical to it. You have hmm. a situation where you got doctors and nurses putting their lives on their line. They don't have masks, enough masks. Mm-hmm. They're struggling for them. They don't have enough respirators. They don't know what protocols to use. And at the same time, you have politicians saying this is a political event. Mm-hmm. Now, in the meantime, can you imagine a similar situation if for just a, a simple tourist, a tourist going to see how you melt a, a foundry where you're melting steel mm-hmm. and you tell that person, it's political to put on uh, protective glasses. Mm-hmm. The guy says, okay, it's political. He walks in, 
one second he gets a flick of molten lead, he's blind. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what we have with masks. We know masks work. We use them in the theater, in every operating theater in this country. They stop germs. To make a mask a political statement is nothing short of shameful, period. Mm -hmm. It's not even a, a political or otherwise. It's just shameful. Mm -hmm. And as a cause of that, this disease is spreading. It's not just masks. Mm -hmm. It's social gathering. We know if you sat, would you sit right in front of somebody who had, was sneezing all over you and they had the flu? No. You'd say, thanks, stay at home. I don't want to see you. I know the flu will go away. Mm -hmm. This is not the flu. This kills big time. Mm -hmm. You don't say the same thing. You don't have social distancing. Kevin, yeah. politicizing this has been one of the greatest mistakes the United <laughs> States has suffered. Very this is not about politics. Yeah. I'm afraid I, I have not. You have to talk straight. Yeah. You guys are in Texas. I heard you talk straight, straight down there. We do. We do. And, so and then, it's funny that, you know, it's funny that you bring up, you know, the fact of the, the geographic boundaries, because, you know, for us here in central Texas, we really weren't hit until the latter part of June. And we had a very difficult July. We thought, oh, this is, this is the worst that it can get. Well, I can tell you right now, We've got just an incredibly, um, uh, just a large spike over the last month. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, the basics of wearing masks and social distancing and what that's doing. You know, we are, you know, from our perspective here uh, at my hospital in our community, we're trying to wear those masks and, and social distance really, you know, out of respect and, and to, and to really, you know, help our frontline workers, you know, our physicians, our nurses, and, and all of our other clinical folks, because, you know, they're exhausted. Uh, you know, we all, uh, I'll say it right now, over, well over a third of our hospital is COVID positive. And, you know, people, people hear that and they don't want to come to the hospital for, you know, a heart attack or something like that. And we say, well, we're a lot safer than if you go to a big box retailer by any means, you know, and so it's been it's been a real interesting shift, frankly, in 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 our community in our area over about the last four to six weeks, you know, in in that thought process. You know, Texans, we're a little we're we're a little cowboyish, you know. We we like our we like our freedom. We we like to we like to to take charge of things, but uh, but you're right. You know, people are starting to see, you know. This is a lot worse than than everybody expected, uh, and so we're uh, we're bearing the brunt of that now. So I, I I think Kevin, on the one hand, you what's wonderful about Texas is you guys are so independent. It's you guys are just fantastic. I watched a movie last night about uh, the state championship football down there. Oh, Oof. Friday Night Lights. You guys. <laughs> Everybody knows that movie. Hey, come on. I watched it again. I'm sure we're watching a lot of movies. This is a great stuff to watch. And boy, yeah. it's fascinating. But yeah. I, I think what you have to assume here is that we also need to ask a different question. We now must take responsibility for dealing with this. Mm -hmm. We must take responsibility. Otherwise, all those doctors, nurses, frontline workers in your hospital are going to just be overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. 
And actually, I know what that means. I've been in a triage situation where you have thousands of patients coming at you and you know, you know that you're going to make a tough choice. Who's going to live and who's going to die? That's right. And that's not fair because the vast majority of these are are avoidable. I think something else we have to think about, Texas needs to ask the hard question, as does the United States. How are we going to deal with this in the future? Mm -hmm. And the only way of dealing with it in the future is saying, number one, I'm going to hold people accountable. I'm going to hold people accountable for not putting science above science and medicine above politics. It's got nothing to do with politics. You got to hold people accountable for that because otherwise your grandma, your mother, your father, your uncles, your aunts, your kids are going to die. Mm -hmm. Simple. And we're going to see that now. We're not 280,000 dead. We're going to go to 500,000. Now, how shameful is that? That's not flu. Right. Right. Number two, we have to ask the question, how can we treasure the defined and then the the number of doctors and nurses that we have? They're a real restricted group. Uh It's not an infinite number. It's not like you can get them to line up and come into the emergency room to look after patients. These are trained, devoted people. And if you can't give them the assurance that we as a society support them, mm-hmm. the front line that you're standing in right now, Kevin, as a hospital administrator, will just crumble. And we can't allow that because no, you're, you're it's a strategic. So right. You are a strategic asset. Your health leads to the health of those who we look after, that leads to the health of the nation. And at its core, when we have these vaccines, these vaccines represent a strategic asset to the United States. The industry is a strategic asset and we hold hands with the doctors and nurses because boy, we need to help them real fast. Mm-hmm. Now you're exactly right. Well, and, and you know, full disclosure, COVID hit my household. Uh, my, wife, my wife, our youngest daughter who lives with us and myself, we all tested positive. Uh, my wife had a pretty significant case. I mean, she was, you know, congestion, exhaustion for about three and a half weeks. Uh, our daughter, of course, the younger population for the most part, it's about a two or three day event. And, you know, I tested positive. I was tired and uh, a little achy, but that was all I ever had. You know, we were blessed, frankly, that we had, you know, a veritable mild case. But I have anecdotal uh, information about uh, other people who they have no idea how how they contracted it. I have a a good friend of mine who just came off of a ventilator after almost three weeks Mm -hmm. who had who had been in his home for months, who'd been working from home. His family wasn't going out. And yet he contracted covid, contracted pneumonia and ended up on a ventilator and fortunately was able to to be weaned off of that recently. Uh, you know, those are the anecdotes. And, and then we start talking about symptoms. You know, the symptoms are all over the map, as you well know. Some people have the, the uh, respiratory, some have the, the gastro. Uh, some just have, like me, you know, a little achy and tired. You know, you might have fever, you might not. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we're seeing, you know, not only in the healthcare community, but, but in society as a whole, is because they're just, you know, everybody is so uncertain. And then, 
the next question I have for you, uh, you know, people come up to me all the time. I don't know why, just because I work in a hospital, they think I'm a doctor. I, I try to dissuade that, but you know, you, you still get the questions. You know, they ask, can you catch it again? You know, if I take the vaccine, how long is the vaccine good for? Is this an annual? Is this a lot? You know, there's so much misinformation and confusion out there. I think that's what's really setting the, the population uh, on its ear. And I think you've put your finger on something extraordinary, so important. We are faced with a disorder that we don't truly understand. We're getting all the information. But imagine if you'd never, if you were in the Stone Age and you had a heart attack, hmm, you'd never know what it was. It's right. my heart. What's happening? This is some God, some, some demon is in my heart. You don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. Today, we have science. Given time, we'll understand everything about this disease. I have complete confidence of that. We'll know why the little babies don't die, which is fantastic. Right. We'll know why it hits the grandma and grandpa so hard. That we'll know. In the meantime, this diversity leads people to think that they're immune. Mm -hmm. That's a real silly thought process. We need to collect that data. But the point that you make is that we don't have a centralized knowledge base. Mm -hmm. In a war, when you fight an enemy, you fight that enemy with central intelligence. You know your goal is to know more about that enemy than they know about you. Right now, that virus knows more about us. It's just attacking us. We need to have somewhere that is centralized, the CDC, that can assemble that data in a scientific and medical way and say, okay, I'm gonna tell the people in Texas, I'm gonna tell the people in my little town here up in Connecticut, I'm in a small town and boy, we're being hit hard, mm -hmm. economically and medically. The schools are closed. People are going hungry because of this. We need to understand that. So we don't have any information. That information is so limited. And now I think the most disastrous piece of information that is creeping into our daily parlance is the one question, are those vaccines safe? Mm -hmm. Kevin, if we don't nail this on the head, if we don't get this really nailed down, then the one big opportunity we have for really pushing this thing back, having a vaccine, is going to be a tough call. Mm -hmm. By the way, as you recognize, I don't talk like a politician. I, uh, I've never been a politician. I don't know from politics. I do know about medicine. Right. You know about war. And I do know that when you have an invisible enemy, you've got to take all the information you can, centralize it, and help people. And that's why I'm so passionate about it. Well, and Dr. Levin, I, that passion has certainly come through today. I really appreciate it. I think that's a good word for us to end on. So Dr. Jeremy Levin, it's been a distinct honor and pleasure having you on I Don't Care today. Kevin, it's a real pleasure. And you know what, what you're doing, not only being a hospital administrator, but somebody who's willing to put a podcast out to try and teach people, boy, that's about the most important thing we could do. Oh, and by the way, the football mm -hmm. down in Texas is damn good. It, thank you. It sure is. It <laughs> certainly is. Well, Dr. Levin, it's, as I said, it's been a pleasure. And, and as always, folks, you can catch this quote unquote live at 930 a.m. Central Time on Market Scale Radio. 
And soon thereafter, it's dropped on Spotify and iTunes. And as I say every week, if you haven't subscribed to I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson, why haven't you? So with that, uh, I'll bid you a good, a good morning and uh, look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks so much. 